In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today, in the presence of God, with our Lord here in the tabernacle, we have an occasion to read the Gospel of St. Mark that corresponds to the second Sunday of Lent, which gives us an account of the transfiguration of the Lord on Mount Tabor, together with Peter, James, and John. In Greek, the word used is metamorphosed, or the Lord was transfigured, metamorphosed. His face, as they went up that mountain, suddenly began, began to shine like the sun. And his garments were dazzling white, like snow. This is what St. Saint, Saint Mark says in his account. St. Matthew also speaks about it, and St. Luke. St. Mark says, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. So this is, you've got to picture them now. He's, he's taking them up onto a high mountain. They're kind of out of breath. He's taking, uh, taking them up there. And they're apart. It's just them and Jesus. Maybe the vegetation is a little bit more sparse up here. It's a bit cooler. Maybe there's fog. But they're there with Jesus. Mark says, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them, along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them. And from the cloud came a voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone except 
when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. Well, it must have really been a stunning vision to see what they saw. It's, we know, well, we know from, from uh, St. Matthew that they fell asleep to the apostles, at least. We don't know at what time they fell asleep, uh, but certainly when they were awake, they saw our Lord in his glory. And there they saw Moses and Elijah with him, also enveloped in his glory. And it is said that this, from Matthew that the three, Moses, Jesus, and Elijah, were speaking about the death of Jesus that he would have to suffer in Jerusalem. Not of his own glory, but of the death that he would undergo in order to arrive at that glory. But I imagine that they saw clearly death as an act of love, that would lead Jesus to this, to this final destiny, to this, to this same glory. Moses and Elijah were there. Of course, Moses was the, the lawgiver. He had been dead 1,500 years. Elijah was the greatest of the prophets, and he had been whirled up into, into heaven and into the sky with a, with a char- chariot, some 800 years before. And, of course, when I think of the scene of the transfiguration, immediately my mind goes uh, to uh, a painting by Raphael, painted in the 16th century, around uh, 1516. A lar- not a large painting, but a fairly large painting. And it was commissioned by a cardinal whose name was Giulio di Medici, and he later on became Pope Clement VII. And um, he wanted a a large altarpiece for a cathedral in France, the the Cathedral of Narbonne, which was an ancient uh, Roman uh, city. And, uh, And so he commissioned Raphael, who was sort of towards the end of his career, and really it was one of the most prestigious uh, commissions that Raphael had received to paint the Transfiguration. Later on, it was taken back from the Narbonne Cathedral. Now it's in the, in the Vatican Museums, and there was even a copy made of this painting that is now in St. Peter's Basilica uh, that was, dates to like the year 1700, it, which was made in mosaic, not in painting, but in mosaic. So, so it's there too. So if you go into St. Peter's Basilica, you'll see the same version of that painting. And uh, it contains, as you'll see, the scene of the transfiguration on the top register and on the lower register. It's, it's got the scene of the possessed boy that the apostles could not cure, you could say, because of their lack of faith. And it's um, a scene of great agitation and upheaval. The figure of the boy clearly is in a seizure. And that's in the lower register. And then above you see uh, our Lord floating, literally floating. And with his hands raised like this on either side, it's the hands of someone praying. 
But it also seems to suggest Jesus on the cross. And next to him, of course, also floating are Moses and uh, Elijah. And that's where they are presumably talking about the cross. Both Moses and Elijah are there waiting in a place of limbo, a kind of a border region. Um, Jesus himself called it Abraham's bosom, right? Uh, he talks about that in the account of uh, Lazarus and uh, the rich man and Lazarus, right? And in, in the crucifixion, when the good thief asks that he be remembered, Jesus says, today, today you will be with me in paradise. So he calls it sometimes Abraham's bosom, sometimes uh, paradise. Right? It has been called limbo. It has been called different names. But that's where uh, Elijah and Moses are before the cross. They could not enter, strictly speaking, into heaven yet. That's why they're talking about the cross, because they know that the cross will be their access point to go into heaven. And they know that, that it'll mean that Jesus will have to suffer. Now this painting of Jesus being transfigured and below the scene of the demoniac, or not demoniac, but the, the possessed boy, became very, very popular all over Europe and in many places of the world. It was often exhibited, like the famous German painter Wolfgang uh, Deus, uh, not Deus, um, Wolfgang Goethe, he praised it, um, Mark Twain praised it, and he saw an exhibit where it had its own room so that people could stand in front of this beautiful painting. So I recommend you go and look it up. I'm sure you've seen it before because it is quite uh, famous after all. But if Moses and Elijah were there speaking about the cross, and readying themselves for that moment. What does this tell us now today? After all, Peter was very happy. He was thrilled. He wanted to stay there. He even wanted to build three tents or three shelters. Well, the Lord had shown them now a, you could say, a, an aspect that they had not seen before. And... Um, until now, the apostles had just seen his external appearance. Um, strictly speaking, our Lord was not really different from other men. He was probably very good looking and, and very handsome and very appealing. But the apostles were used to his habits, the very timber of his voice. Like when you hear somebody calling you or on the phone, you recognized just from the timber of the voice, you recognized that, right? And they would have recognized Jesus in that sense. But now, in the transfiguration, they see Jesus, but they see another Jesus, the true Jesus. That Jesus who cannot be seen with ordinary eyes right? in ordinary life, in that sense, in the normal light of the sun. Now what they're seeing is a sudden revelation of Jesus, uh, really like he is in his divinity. It's a, it's a very unique gift that they've been uh, 
given and it and it fortifies them, it strengthens them in that moment. And of course, the purpose of this was to prepare them for the cross, which was coming down the road, so that they would think back to that moment and say, "Okay, okay, he's suffering now, but." Remember the transfiguration. Remember that he will overcome this cross. And indeed, the the first representations of the cross in early Christian art always show our Lord victorious. They show him strong. They don't show him suffering. That does happen later. Because the suffering of Jesus on the cross is done out of love. But his suffering was also something that he overcame because he was God. And he redeemed us in that way. So when we think about and when we apply the, the, the account of the transfiguration, it has to mean for us something too. That is that we too have to see where we can be transfigured and in what way. Because just as the apostles saw Jesus now in a new light and made them very happy, they saw him in his, all his divinity and all his glory with all that light and it made them very happy. We too can be transformed. We are normal people. We're not, you know, not going to suddenly have light streaming out of our face. But it's similar to what happens to somebody who falls in love. You could say the vision that somebody has for the beloved. And before the, you fall in love, the other person is just like anybody else. Uh, but now suddenly the one you love suddenly becomes the only one, the sole person who truly interests you. Everything else uh, becomes a kind of neutral background. And... When you're in love, you can't think of anybody else. You can't think of anything else. You just think of that person. It's, it's a transfiguration that takes place in you. I don't know if you've fallen in love. Indeed, the person that you love is transfigured and almost has a luminous aura about them. They can't do any wrong. They're just amazing. Everything about the one you love is beautiful. They don't have defects. One feels unworthy of her. Indeed, true love really does generate uh, real humility. And then something concrete also happens and changes in our life. You know, it does happen that sometimes young people, you could ask yourself, has this happened to you? I ask myself that too, but young people sometimes they... You know, they're going through life and uh, they have school and uh, all the COVID restrictions and, and life is kind of sluggish and they have a difficulty getting out of bed or difficulty just getting their work done. They're, you know, they're easily distracted by stuff on the internet. Uh, they kind of do things by obligation. But when the fire is ignited in their hearts, when they fall in love, when they are enraptured by the idea of doing apostolate and bringing the love of God to others, or just when they fall in love with somebody, 
Or did they just desire to serve the Lord in the church or in their parish or in their family? Suddenly, they leap out of bed. They bounce out of the bed and they hit the ceiling practically. That's the kind of energy, the transfiguration that happens to somebody who falls in love. Now, we are told in Matthew that Peter and John and James, they were sleepy. They were like, uh, they were up on the mountain, but they were like passing out. They were just nodding. They were like that, right? They were, right? But now, when they see our Lord transfigured, they, they were like totally awake. They're focused. They're wide awake. And they see Jesus as he really is in his divinity. Now, later on, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Olives, well, there too, they see him suffering. They lose sight and they do fall asleep. And our Lord has to tell them, couldn't you stay awake with me just another hour? We must not get sleepy. Let us ask our Lord for that gift of the transfiguration of our heart so that we can see you, Lord. Here we just see a tabernacle with a beautiful image of our Blessed Mother. But if we could look at that tabernacle and we could look at Our Lady and St. Joseph and the child Jesus with love, See, that luminosity is a transfiguration of the way we look. One time I was in a, in a house in, in Montreal in the center and the doorbell rang. It was relatively late at night, maybe late. It was maybe eight o'clock or something like that. And uh, there was a lady there from Statistics Canada. And she came to ask me some questions about how the, how the house functions in that neighborhood and they just wanted to know how many people there were there and phone lines and stuff like that. It was just uh, for purposes of statistics. And uh, she was looking around the house, it was you know, a fairly nice house, I just let her come in there in the, in the living room and um, I just said, out of, for, you know, whatever reason, I said, if you want, you can see we have a chapel here. And I, allow, I opened the door to the chapel and there was an image of Our Lady Somewhat like that, similar, but not quite, but similar. And the light was focused on that painting. And as she entered, I didn't know anything about her, but she dropped to her knees. She dropped to her knees. And when she saw that painting, and she, she, she began to pray. And she said, how beautiful, how beautiful. She was transfigured, by, in this case, by the beauty of art. And uh, that painting was the flight into Egypt by Murillo, Bartolome Murillo, from the 17th century. But there are many other, obviously, beautiful paintings. So, let us ask for this new encounter with Jesus on Mount Tabor, because this will rejuvenate us. It'll make us fall on our knees if we really see Jesus as he really is. Let us make lots of acts of faith. Maybe you can make acts of faith as you're walking in front of a church. It's just a church. It's just a building. But make acts of faith in Jesus who is really there. And he will give us the grace to be transfigured, to see things through a new prism, the prism of love, the prism of faith. Let's ask this of our Blessed Mother who prays for us now. She is always like that, like there, illuminated. 
Let us ask for the grace of the transfiguration so that we may be transfigured by love. Our Blessed Mother will intercede for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.